And so uh, hopefully uh, you took a lesson there, not only from King Ahab, but from these wonderful young men. I love to see children singing for the Lord. Well, take your notes there tonight. And uh, anybody got in here, didn't get a copy of the outline tonight, raise your hand. And uh, somebody have any, Brother Rye, anybody else down here? Zeke wants one. And uh, there you go. Anybody else? My father-in-law right here. There's going to be a test afterwards. All right. And the test is how many blanks did you not get filled in? All right. We want to make sure everybody gets fulfilled all the money you've spent to come tonight. All right. And those that are home, hopefully you receive the notes uh, this afternoon and you can follow along with us. And of course, we've, we've gotten away for a couple weeks on our Route 66. If you're visiting with us, Route 66, there are how many books in the Bible? 66, and thus the Route 66, and so uh, last year we did the New Testament books, and then this year we started into the Old Testament books, and, and we're just kind of uh, following book by book, and we've made it. If you notice up on the screen, this is, uh, how many Old Testament books are there? 39. Brother Flynn still remembers that at 860 years of age, all right? And so 39 books, and listen, if Brother Flynn's been studying the Word of God, some of you need to, to just follow his lead and study the Bible, your life, and you'll know that someday when you get to be 864, all right? But here, here we are, and notice the books of the Old Testament, and they're, they're on the shelf. Now, the section we're looking at is the ones that are light blue, all right? And so that's where we are. Now, if you notice, the book of Esther is the very last of those books, and we'll say that a little bit more about that in just a minute. But as we get into this study tonight, Esther is called the book of, throw it up there, there you go, the book of divine providence, all right? Divine providence. And, you know, I, I think about the message this morning and the sovereignty of God, and I was telling Brother Kenny that, you know, we pulled away for a couple weeks, and, uh, and, and my intent was to get back to this series and try to finish it, but uh, I, I was thinking about how I also, before the beginning of this year, planned my monthly themes, and my theme for the month of July with Magnify is sovereignty, and so when my first message on the sovereignty of God was today and tonight we're studying the book of Esther, which is about the sovereignty of God, the providence of God. And I thought, boy, that's, that is God putting the hand in the glove, all right? And so I love it when God fits things together. People say, wow, what a coincidence. No, that's not a coincidence. That's our God, all right? And so tonight we're going to study the book of divine providence. And I want you to notice that uh, as, as we've got a couple charts here just trying to help you a little bit, and Brother Kenny's back there. Hopefully, he'll be able to help us, but if you look at this chart, you don't have it in your paper, but the reason I wanted you to see this again is because, remember, we've already looked at the book of Ezra, and we already looked at the book of Nehemiah. Tonight, we're looking at the book of Esther, and I want you to notice that Esther, how Esther fits Notice about halfway down, are you able to zoom? You know how to do that? He's got it right there. All right, so look down here at the bottom of the screen now. See the book of Ezra, and then see the book of Nehemiah, and then right in the middle is where the book of Esther chronologically fits in those three books. And we're going to talk about 
how it fits and what it's all about, but I wanted you to see that. Now go to the next slide, Brother Kenny, and here you have the chronological in time order, and so if you notice the dates at the top, you see Ezra, remember that it was in two parts. There's a gap between Ezra 6, chapter 6, and Ezra chapter 7. So in that gap, go back to the full one there if you can. Okay, all right. So notice that at the end of chapter 6, that's the first return of the Jews from the Babylonian captivity, the exile. But then notice before the second return of the Jews, which was under Ezra, that you had this gap of 58 years, and that's where the book of Esther fits in. So we need to understand that because I don't know about you, but I, it took me many, many years as a Christian to realize that God's book is accurate, it's true, but not everything is in chronological order as we read it. In other words, if you read it from Genesis to Revelation, not everything is in date order. One of the neatest things I did one year was I read, and I, I still have that Bible, it's a chronological Bible. Uh, I don't know if any of you, have, how many of you have ever seen a chronological Bible? And uh, one that I would highly recommend is Ed Reese's Chronological Bible. His name is R-E-E-S-E, -E -E, Ed Reese's Chronological Bible. And what was neat about it, especially when you get into the New Testament, the life of Christ, now it keeps jumping from maybe Matthew to Luke back to Mark and over to John, but it gives you the chronological order and it, it jumps around. You don't read book by book, you read chronologically. Hopefully that makes sense. But I wanted you to see this, uh, how this lays out. It'll help us tonight. And then go to, the, I think I have one more. There you go. And we've showed this before. These are the divisions of the Old Testament books. And the first five books are the books of the law, oftentimes known as the Pentateuch. When you get to the second section in the Old Testament, it's a section called the historical section. And so there are quite a few books there, beginning with Joshua, but it ends with what book? With Esther. So this is the last. So the next time we come back onto Route 66, because next week, Brother Kenny's going to be preaching, the next time we get together, we're going to go to the book of Job. And notice Job, Psalms, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes are the poetical books in our Bible. You say, Pastor, are you going to cover the book of Psalms in one night? I have no earthly idea right now what I'm going to do with the book of Psalms, but we'll, we'll tackle that when we get here. But I wanted you to see we're in the last of, now think about that, because the Old Testament, the audience, the target audience is the nation of Israel. So you think about these books from Joshua to Esther, they are about the history of God's people. And so this is the last of those. And if you go, can you go back one slide if you can? Look at the dates. Now, remember how many years, let's test you here, how many years was there between the, the end of the Old Testament, as we know it, the book of Malachi, and the beginning of the New Testament, the book of Matthew? How many years were there? 400 years. The 400 years of silence, all right? So if you look at the dates here, look at this. We're, we're coming down in the book of Nehemiah to 425 B.C. Anybody know what B.C. means? Before Christ, all right? So just chronologically, I'm trying to help you to wrap your mind around because I think it's important for us to understand 
the Word of God, all right? So, uh, Brother Kenny, you can go on to where I think it says name. There you go, right there. So uh, here it is. If you want to start filling this in, Esther's Hebrew name, okay? Her Jewish name was Hadassah. We had some friends. They actually named their daughter Hadassah, and that name is derived from the myrtle tree, which means beauty. So Hadassah, her name in the Hebrew meant beauty. Her Persian name, and by the way, this is pretty common. You see in the New Testament, Levi was who in the New Testament? Anybody remember what Levi was? First book in the New Testament, Matthew, right? And so you find many times that Peter's, what was the other name Peter had? Simon, right? So you find multiple names because of different uh, different languages. So the Persian name, her Persian name was Ishtar or Venus, which both of them mean beautiful. So in Hebrew, it was beauty. In Persian, it meant beautiful. Now, why did she have a Persian name? Well, Esther takes place in Persia, all right? That's why she had a Persian name. By the way, remember what happened with Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, and Daniel when they went into captivity? They wanted to change their diets. They wanted to change their name. By the way, you know what the world wants to do with you? They want to change your name from being a Christian to being a non-Christian. And so the world's always going to be trying to change who, what your identity is in Christ. Okay. Now notice one other language. Her name in the Greek is star meaning bright, okay? So notice a couple different names, all the same woman and just different languages because of the nationalities and so on. So we find the name of Esther. Now the next thing says, how is the book of Esther connected with the previous book? Now we saw some of that with the, uh, with the charts that we just showed, but notice on your notes there that Esther is an account of the Jews who chose to remain in Persia. Now this is important because they they remained there. Notice after Cyrus gave them their freedom to return to Jerusalem. Now it's hard to believe, but here's what happens is that oftentimes even in displacement people get comfortable and when they are able to go where they should be, they choose to stay where they do. Now, sometimes we find that even some that could have returned from the captivity because they were older in age, they chose to stay because many of them believed that they would not make the journey. They believed that they would die along the way. And, and so this, it's kind of interesting how these were the Jews who had been given their freedom to go back to Jerusalem, but they chose to stay in Persia. That's, why, that's the scene that we see here and I gave you the, you can look at that Ezra chapter 1, verses 1 through 4. Now, I think I have a map that I've used before, and I want you to notice here, maybe Brother Kenny can kind of get the middle of it there a little bit, but the Bible talks about how that this took place, I want to see what's just off on that side. There you go. See the word Susa there, all right? And notice that how they left, you can see the line there going back to Jerusalem. Now, Again, this, is, this was the way back for those that returned from captivity, and this, this is what we would find that many of them did. Now, in the book of Esther, many of them chose to stay behind, so I wanted you to be aware of that, see a visualization there. Now, the next thing it says is the account knows as, as the book of Esther, we just saw this on that chronological, that really, when you're reading, this should be read between 
chapter 6 and chapter 7 of the book of Ezra. That's where they fit in. It links the events in Esther, not only to the book of Ezra, but also to the book of Nehemiah. So when you think about this, I remember years ago as I was teaching in the Bible college, I would teach the book of of Ezra and Nehemiah, tremendous books on leadership. There's some great leadership principles. Some of you guys ought to study those two books in the Bible, tremendous books on leadership, but you cannot hardly study those two and not study the book of Esther because they all fit together during this particular time. Now it says, although Esther follows Nehemiah in the Bible, in other words, the way that the Bible is put together, the events of Esther are about 30 years prior to those that were recorded in Nehemiah. And we've already mentioned that because of that gap between chapter 6 and chapter 7 of Ezra. Now the contents of the book This book is actually referred to, and we looked at this verse this morning, as the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. Now, I think that's a neat thing, because remember, what was the verse this morning? Look at it there in your notes, and let's read it together. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are the called according to his purpose. So the book of Esther has been referred to as the Romans 8.28 of the Old Testament. I think it's very fitting uh, as somebody so put it that way years ago. Now, although the name of God, and a lot of people, when they, when they think about this, they believe that the book of Esther should not be in the Bible because the name of God is not mentioned in the entire book. Now, there's many things. By the way, the word rapture is not in the Bible. Uh, there's many things that we, we understand the concept of something. Just because we do not see it does not mean that it's not there, all right? And so it says we find it, it, that although God's name is not mentioned, we find the singular providence of God in taking care of his people. Brother Flynn. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. Yeah, they just, the one empire replaced the other. Absolutely. And so from a historical standpoint, yes, sir. So, so when, you, when you look at this, it says that God in his providence, he took care of his people during times of adversity and humbling the proud in exalting the lowly and in saving those who pray to him and trust them. So again, even though we do not see the name of God mentioned, we clearly see the providence of God for his people throughout this book. Now, it says this is the second book in the Old Testament that's actually named for a woman. And again, the reason we bring this up is because I think it's neat. Ruth was the other one. Ruth is the story of a Gentile who actually married a Jew. Anybody remember what his name was? Boaz. All right. Now, look at Esther is a story of a Jew who married a Gentile. And so it's kind of neat. This is the second book that is named for a woman in the Old Testament. Now, the book, uh, in the book, we find, of course, one, uh, uh, the plot that's there by the man by the name of Haman, and Haman's whole, uh, he was out to destroy all the Jews because of his hatred for, uh, for Esther's cousin, whose name was Mordecai, and he had, a, he had a decree that was issued, and of course, you can go back, like the Medes and the Persians, uh, how that you could not alter a decree that the king put out, and this, this decree went into effect uh, to destroy the, the Jews. And it, notice here, this was another attempt 
on the part of Satan to destroy the people of God. By the way, this hasn't ended, and it is still something that the devil would still love to see. And we've seen other people, Stalin and Hitler and others, that have tried to exterminate the Jews over the years. But this is an early plot where God was using Haman to try to eradicate the world of the Jewish people. Now, when the Jews learned of his plot, which I get, look, this is how I look at that. They didn't just learn of his plot. It was the providence of God that they learned. And so they found out what was going on. So what did they do? Boy, here's a great lesson. They fasted and prayed. They didn't pick up arms. They didn't start shooting people. They, they, gave, they gave it to the Lord. They fasted and they prayed. We want to have refreshing during our meeting coming up. What should we do? Fast and pray. And that's exactly what they did during Esther's day. Now it says, though, uh, through Esther's intercession, and that's what she did, the Jews fought for their lives and they were spared. And as a result of their victory, the feast was established called the Feast of Purim. And it was established to commemorate their preservation. By the way, that feast is still celebrated today by Jewish people. It's a wonderful time. As a matter of fact, I, I think it's become a fun celebration for many of them, maybe taking on some newer things, but nonetheless, it's a wonderful thing. And so let's take a look. I think you have on the last page of your notes, if you can't see all of this, but this is the chart. We won't take time to blow it up in any way. Uh, we'll just leave it like this, Brother Kenny, but you see the setting early on, how the Jews are threatened, the plot that goes against them by Haman, and of course, then they're spared, they're delivered, and you can see how it's laid out chapter by chapter. And again, the deliverance, the exaltation of a Jew, which would be Mordecai at the end. And of course, the establishment of the Feast of Purim. And so it's a wonderful book. It's a great study. If you haven't spent much time in the book of Esther, you should. Now, notice the character of the book. This, like the couple before that, it is a historical book, meaning that it's the last of this section. But it's also kind of given in an autobiographical way. As we have seen uh, Ezra and Nehemiah as well, the subject of the book of, of Esther is God's unseen hand in the delivering of the Jews. And I like that. Again, the name of God was not there. And oftentimes, like we said this morning, we may not understand why we're going through something, but know this, God is always at work. The providence of God and God's unseen hand. And I love to see how uh, he took care of his people. The purpose of the book is to teach us that nothing just happens in the life of, of the believer. I hope that you believe that in your heart tonight. Things don't just happen. God allows. Uh, we'll be studying the book of Job next. Hey, listen, Job's a great example of that. How, how God, Satan only did what he did because God allowed it. And so we find here that nothing just happens. Notice a couple verses here uh, in 2 Corinthians and in the book of Romans, the one we've already looked at. Notice all things are for your sakes. Uh, all things are of God and all things, as we've said already many times today, work together for good. All right. So again, God is working on our behalf and nothing just happens in the life of a believer. Now, if you take a look I always like to have just a simple outline for each one of these books. I hope you're keeping these notes on each one of the books so that you can go back, that as you're studying particular books or places in the Bible, you can go to these for helps. But notice the simple outline just divided into two parts. It begins with the danger of the scattered Jews. This is the first five chapters. And notice in there we see where Vashti, 
was actually the queen. She was on the throne. And again, the providence of God, she was taken off the throne. And then we see the distinction of Esther. She now becomes the queen. The decree, the wicked plot by Haman, the distress of Mordecai, and then the disposition of the king in chapter number 5. When you go from chapter 5 to 6, you go from the danger of the scattered Jews to the deliverance of the scattered Jews. Now, you may have never heard this phrase before, but there's a word dealing with the Jews, the scattered Jews. By the way, the book of Hebrews speaks to this end, but it's called the diaspora, how the Jews were scattered. And we see this take place many times in the Bible, especially in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. But notice how God delivers them. Chapters 6 through 10, we see that Mordecai is exalted. Of course, the execution of Haman. We know the verse that what we what we sow, we're going to reap. And the very same gallows. And so we find, again, God working there. Notice the eradicating of the enemy, chapters 8 and 9, part of chapter 9. That's the rooting out of the enemy. The establishment then of the Feast of Purim in chapter 9. And then the eminence of Mordecai in chapter number 10. And it's just 10 short chapters, but it is filled with the providence of God working in the lives of his people. And I think that's why it's a great read and great study. Now, the scope of the book, it it really just approximately 12 years. It's just a small amount of time as you look at it. Like, for instance, if you read the book of Acts and you see all the things that happen in the book of Acts, all the events take place in about a 30-year period. When you look at this particular book, it's just 12 years. And so much happens in those 12 years. The writer... Now, some differ on this, but many believe it was probably Mordecai. Some even would suggest maybe Ezra or Nehemiah. And the reason they do that is because of the similarity in the writing styles. Now, the reason that I say probably Mordecai is look in your notes there in chapter 9, verse 20 and 29. The Bible says, and Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, in verse 29. Then Esther, the queen, the daughter of Abihel, and Mordecai the Jew, wrote with all authority to confirm this second letter of Purim. So the Bible clearly designates that he did do some writing. He recorded some things. Maybe it was all of it. Maybe it was part of it. Again, I'm not going to go to seed on that. You may agree or disagree with that, but that's what many believe. Now, to whom was the book written? I think that it's important for us to always understand who this book is written to. And I really believe that it was written to the people of Israel. And as far as year, uh, really it dated between about 480, 460. uh, And so I'm going to say about 460 B.C. is, is an approximate date on when it was written I mentioned earlier when you saw the map that the story is set in the Persian Empire and most of the action takes place in the book in the king's palace in the area known as Susa. And that was the Persian capital at that time and it is where uh, many believe that this book, the book of Esther, would have been written from. The key chapter, uh, many believe, is chapter number 6 where Mordecai is exalted and remember that God says that he will exalt us in due time. This was God's doing and not Mordecai's. And I love the key verse there in chapter 4 and verse number 14, where the Bible says, For if thou 
altogether holdest thy peace at this time, then shall their enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place. But thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now let me just say to you, you're not an Esther, and I, I'm not Esther either. Uh, truth is, look here, I understand this. I'm a nobody, and I'm okay with that. The only thing that makes us special is the God we serve. But I'll tell you this, you have to believe in your heart that God had you to be born and be living right now for such a time as this. See, this is your time, your time. Esther had her time to live for God, and you have your time to live for God. Make the most out of every moment God gives to you. And I love this because a lot of times people read that verse, verse 14, and they think, boy, God used Esther. Can I tell you, God can use you today for a, such a time as this. Hey, you think about how wicked this world is. Look, I understand there are many political things and a lot of things going on in the world, but let's make sure we stay focused on that which is spiritual and that which will advance the kingdom of God. And God has you here for such a time as this. And let's be a voice as John was crying in the wilderness and make sure that people know of the love of God and the deliverance that God can give to them. Now, the key word in the book of Esther is deliverance. The key phrase, we just said it, for such a time as this. And I love that thought there. The key thought to the book, again, is the escape of the Jews from extermination. And, of course, when we're talking about this extermination, we're talking specifically in Persia, where the setting takes place, where they stayed uh, after being given permission to return to Jerusalem. The spiritual thought, here it is, very simple, still same for us today, only trust Him. What's on the back of our currency? In God we trust. And how many, even Christians today, are trusting in the almighty dollar instead of trusting in the almighty God. And so let's make sure that we too only trust him. The uniqueness of the book, and I love this, is the Feast of Purim, all right? And so a little bit about this, it happens on the 14th day of the Hebrew month, Adar, uh, and most of us may not be familiar unless we have some Jewish roots. That would be usually March or April on our calendar. And the whole reason behind this is because it commemorates the day as we've said, where Esther saved, or really God saved, the Jewish people from extinction, from extermination, and from being executed by Haman. And so, again, it's a wonderful thing if you ever hear a Jew talking about the Feast of Purim, okay, and now you can see the 14th day of March or April. If you see a Jewish people excited around that time of year, you'll know why, okay? And I think it helps us to understand our Jewish uh, brother brothers and sisters, all right? Now, I always like to look at each one of the books of the Bible, even in the Old Testament, how we can find, like our theme, how Christ is magnified in each book of the Bible. And so notice a couple ways we see him being magnified. One is as, as Mordecai. Say, as Mordecai, how is Jesus as Mordecai? Well, notice six ways. First of all, uh, he, he was like, uh, Mordecai was like Jesus. He adopted Esther who was an orphan, and he shows her his mercy. 
Well, listen, that's exactly what Jesus did. We have been adopted, and we are children of the King, and understand all because of what Jesus has done for us. He has shown us his mercy. Notice he was faithful to the King as Jesus was faithful to his Father. And I love the fact that, again, Mordecai was faithful. We need to be faithful to our Father the way that Jesus was. Number three, he was consistent. Mordecai was consistent in his life. And remember, Jesus, even as he went to the cross, the Bible says that he set his face to go to the cross. That, that means Jesus did not try to go the other way. He went all the way to Calvary. And by the way, aren't you glad that he did? Because otherwise, we could not have a Savior. And so we find that he was consistent. Notice about Mordecai, he was despised, just like Jesus was. Uh, Jesus was despised and rejected. Number five, he was tested. Just like Jesus was tested, uh, remember how this, the, this, the uh, devil led him into the wilderness to be tempted, and again, Jesus did not succumb to those temptations, but he was, it was perfect in all points, and so again, Mordecai was tested, and then number six, Mordecai received a place of honor, and when Jesus, of course, had gone through the death, burial, and resurrection, Listen, he received a place of honor at the right hand of God, and that's where he is today, interceding on our behalf. And I love the thought how Christ is magnified through Mordecai in the book of Esther. We also see this matter of the Lord being the sovereign protector of his people in the book of Esther. And although Esther, again, does not mention God specifically, his sovereign protection over his people remains apparent throughout the book. God placed Esther, this is important, in a key position, all right, to impede Haman's plan, again, to destroy the Jews. And so Esther typifies, she's a type of Christ, how? In her willingness to do what? To lay her life down to save her people. That's exactly what Esther did. And listen, the Bible says that no man took Jesus' life he laid his life down. That's what a friend does. And Jesus laid his life down for us, and we see that willingness in Esther also to save her people. And then the last way that I saw Jesus in the book of Esther is that he is Israel's advocate, that he represents, uh, Esther represents the position of Christ as Israel's advocate. And of course, she stood for her people. And in all the events of the book, God declares his love for Israel in his constant watch over the Jewish people. Did you notice I used the word constant watch, okay? We have problems, I guess, with the PowerPoint, so I'll try to make sure you guys get all your blanks, okay? So, so again, look at it. It says God declares his love for Israel in his constant watch over the Jewish people. Now, Psalm 121 and verse number 4, the Bible says, Behold, he, God, that keepeth Israel shall neither slumber nor sleep. Again, you see the Bible identifying there his constant love, his constant watch, and his supervision over his people. Now, if I wanted to summarize, and I, it's really just quite simple. In the book of Esther, the sovereignty of God, the faithfulness of God permeates each scene in the book. Nothing is truly coincidental. Uh, everything happens with a purpose. Remember, we talked about that this morning, the purpose and the plan of God. Now, when the events in the book of Esther, and you might say, that's kind of how I feel in my life. When the events seemed out of control, and sometimes it just seems like things are spinning out of control in our lives, 
and, and in the life of Esther, the life of Mordecai, it felt this way when the king actually dictated ruin. That would be the decree for, for the people of, of Israel. When evil was poised to triumph, what, what do we see? God was at work. See, again, you know, the devil thought that he had won when Jesus was crucified, but up from the grave he arose, all right? So God is at work. He was at work there. Notice he worked through their dark days, their faithful obedience, and their victories. The, the message is still clear today. God is sovereign even when life doesn't make sense, and sometimes it won't. And a lot of times we think, Lord, why are you allowing this to happen? Uh, it just does not make sense. But again, uh, many of you, when I asked the question this morning, how many of you believe that God is sovereign? I saw hands go up all across the auditorium. And even though we may not be able to understand it from a human standpoint, God is in control. Now, notice life can be hard. I know many of us know that by now. And if you don't, you will. At times, life can be difficult. Things can happen. Pain cannot be avoided. But when life doesn't make sense, here's the question. Do you turn to God or do you turn away from God? I hope that you've learned to turn to Him, to run to God. And we need to make sure, especially during those difficult times. So here it is, just like the children sing many times, trust and obey. That's what Esther did. And if we will trust Him and obey Him and watch how God silently, the unseen hand of God, how He silently weaves all the events in our lives for His glory and eventually for our good. And listen, that's what we want. We want God to get the glory out of our lives and remember, God works all things together for what? For good. To them that love God, to them that are the called according to his purpose. So the book of Esther, it's a wonderful book. It's a great historical book for the Jewish people. But I'll tell you this, not being a Jew, I can study this book and you can too. And we can learn much from the providence of God and the sovereignty of God in his people. And I hope that maybe some of you have discovered something new from this book tonight. And so take that with you and just think about it. And maybe spend some time reading it again while it's still fresh in your mind. Next time we get together, we're going to study the book of Job. I mean, the book of Job, all right? All right, well, let's have a word of prayer and ask the Lord to bless our week. Lord, thank you so much for this book in the Bible and what it means to us, what it especially means to Jewish people. God, where you saved them from, from being executed, from being exterminated in this world. And Lord, they have something to celebrate. And I think about how the devil would love to end our lives, Lord, to end our influence for you. And I'm so glad that we have victory in Jesus. And as we saw this morning, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. And we're so glad for the love of God in our lives Lord, I pray that you would bless us as you have saved us, given us purpose. Lord, may you help us this week. Give us opportunity to tell others about you. And Lord, may we live every day, as we said this morning, in the sovereignty of our wonderful and loving Heavenly Father. And bless us as we leave now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.